thank you for the introduction, Mark. Um, yeah, just to, to add a little bit to that, I, I began attending Church of the Cross a couple of years back when we were still meeting upstairs in the cloister room. Um, at that time, I was a, a bit, still a bit rootless in my church life, and um, most of my energies were focused on school. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't deserve to be up here. Uh, when I turn, returned to Church of the Cross uh, last spring after a long absence, Mark welcomed me with open arms. And um, when I found out at the end of the summer that my cancer had metastasized throughout my body, the whole church embraced me. Um, and I've been the recipient of many a ride, um, food, places to stay, and a great deal of prayer. Um, I don't deserve to deliver this message, but since this is a message, this is a passage that's drenched in grace, I guess that qualifies me. Uh, Tonight's scripture brings us late into the life of Abraham um, to a period in his life of great despair. Um, It's as someone who's struggling with cancer, this is is a story that, that I can identify with. And so I've been asked to share um, tonight the story of um, Abraham's covenant, um, God's covenant with Abraham, um, basically through my eyes. And so um, Genesis 15, if you can turn to Genesis 15, it provides us with a resurrection pledge. It provides us with a covenant contract for all believers, for all Christians. It's a pledge that I'm holding on to. Um, and one that I'd like to share with you. So let's take a look at this beautiful story. Um, Let's take a look at this beautiful story and ask what this pledge means. First, what this pledge means to Abraham. Second, what it means to us. And third, how we obtain it. What it meant to Abraham, what it means to us, and how we obtain it. Abraham left the city of Ur, a place of high culture, Um, to pursue God's calling, to become the father of a new nation. Leaving everything behind at age 75, Abram followed God to pursue this promise. God promised Abram land, um, but 10 years later, Abram was still a nomad. God had promised to make Abram into a great nation. 10 years later, though, his wife was still barren. It's within this context, 10 years after separating himself from his family, in his whole world, to follow God, that God brings Abram out of his tent to address his disappointment. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Verse 1, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Here in verse 1, God promise not merely to give Abram a reward, but to be his reward. This is the highest possible blessing that anyone could ask for, that the creator God, Yahweh, would be their shield. Think of that. You've got blue cross, blue shield. I've got Yahweh as my insurance policy. I mean, is there a better insurance policy? Is there a better retirement plan? Is there a better inheritance than God himself? The magnificence of this opening promise, though, seems to go right over Abram's head. But God doesn't condemn him. He doesn't put him down. How dare you doubt me, you faithless servant? 
Rather, he calls Abram out of his tent and directs his gaze toward heaven. Look at verse 5. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he, that's God, counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to Abram as righteousness. What does this mean? Or more specifically to our first point, what did this mean to Abram? It means that Abram looked at the expanse between the present reality and the future promise of God and believed that God could bridge the gap. Abram looked at the expanse between his present reality and the future promise of God and believed that God could fill the chasm. Abram looked at his present situation at age 85, his wife Sarai at 75, barren, post-menopause. Both of their bodies were as good as dead, reproductively speaking. He looked at his present situation, and he looked at the promise of God that he would have offspring that followed him. He looked at the two, future promise and present reality, and he believed that God could bridge the divide. God could fill the expanse between his promise and the present situation. But it doesn't stop with the promise of offspring. Look at verse 7. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Verse 13 reads, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go down to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they, your offspring, shall come back here to the land of promise. In the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Here's another impossible promise. Land. The promised land, like the promise of offspring, is going to require God to raise the dead. Just as will require a resurrection of, of sorts for an old man and an old woman to conceive a child, it's going to require a resurrection to bring them into possession of a land that won't be occupied for another 400 years. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Think of this. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you a land to possess, but you won't inherit it for another four generations. How is that good news to Abram? The book of Hebrews tells us that this is good news to Abram because he understood that the promise to be, this promise to be a promise of the afterlife. So he understood this promise to be a heavenly promise a promise with heavenly foundations. Hebrews reads, By faith, Abram went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of that same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is a heavenly promise. But at the same time, it's also a very earthy promise. Later in Genesis, we read that Abraham would pay a small fortune to buy a very small plot of land 
in, in, in the land of promise. It was the only land he ever owned there. Uh, it was just large enough for the purpose of burying himself and his immediate family. This is the only property that, that Abraham ever owned in the land of promise. And it speaks volumes to what Abraham was looking forward to. What was Abraham looking forward to? Abraham was looking forward to a real physical resurrection. A resurrection that would bring God's kingdom of heaven to earth. Abraham believed one way or another, God was going to bring him into the land. An earthy land with a heavenly city whose designer and builder was God. So what, what does this promise, what does this pledge have to do with us? This brings us to our second point. What does this pledge mean to us? Well, as an advanced cancer patient, this message really resonates with me because like Abraham, I'm in a place of impossibility. Like Abraham, I've reached the place where I understand that my body is as good as dead. Back in December, I was told by my oncologist, Jeff, this is your last Christmas. How do you want to spend it? And, well, over Christmas, I got to hold my, my nephew, Brendan, for the first time. And to be honest, you know, sitting there with my mom, my dad, um, my brother, my sister-in-law, and little baby Brendan, um, I, I, you know, I'll be honest, I, I was, it would be dishonest for me to say that I wasn't stung by the thought that I'll never have a family. I'll never know what it's like to look a son or daughter into the, their eyes and hear and say the word daddy. I'll never know what it's like to walk down the aisle and say the words I do. Now, I, I pray for healing, um, and I believe that God will bring this body back to life. But it's here that I need to fix my eyes on the promise of Abraham. Either way, God is going to bring about resurrection, whether it's on this side of eternity or the next, or both. Abraham's promise is my promise. I'm not, I'm not looking forward to a disembodied spirit floating around in the clouds listening to elevator music. I'm looking forward to a real resurrected body on a real resurrected earth with my real resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced more than ever that there's nothing that I could possibly miss out on in this life that God won't more than make up for in the life to come. No children, no children in this life. Rejoice, O barren one. No spouse. Rejoice, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. In whatever area this life has left you short, God will more than make it up for in the life to come. Now, you may not be facing imminent death, but sooner or later, each one of us has to come to the fact, the conclusion, that our bodies are as good as dead. But death doesn't have to mean annihilation. The promise to Abraham is the same promise to us. We have an inheritance. We have a sure hope. We have a real, tangible resurrection promise. If we believe, if we hold on to God's promise, there's a problem. If I could just, excuse me. But there's, there's a problem. There's a problem. It's the same problem for Abraham as it is for each of us. 
Even if we believe God, none of us lives up to God's holy standard. None of us lives up to God's standard of perfection. Even if we believe in God, none of us lives up to God's standard of holiness. Be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's God's standard. We see this clearly in Abraham's life in the very next chapter, chapter 16, when Abraham tries to help out God by sleeping with the slave girl, Hagar. But God isn't going to be thwarted by this. So what does God do? This brings us to our third point. How do we get it? How do we get the promise of Abraham? How is this promise, how is this pledge applied to us? Well, in this story, God literally steps in and makes the pledge happen. He makes the promise binding. He makes both sides of the contract. He signs both sides of the contract. He makes the promise for himself and Abraham and places himself as the guarantee should either one of them fall short. God makes himself our surety, foreshadowing his work on the cross. Look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The same words used in this account to describe the darkness and fire are later used to describe God's presence at Sinai, where God appeared to the Exodus generation in the form of fire and a cloud. So we have the vision of God represented by the smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passing through the sacrifice. What does this mean? God is in effect saying, may this happen to me if I don't uphold my part of the covenant. He's saying, if I don't uphold the oath that I swear, may I be cut in two just as these animals. But there's a major difference between the covenant treaty in Genesis 15 and all other ancient Near Eastern covenant treaties. You see here, God alone walks between the pieces. God, the king, signs both sides of this covenant treaty. The vassal does nothing. God takes the curse for breaking the covenant upon himself and himself alone. Why? Because none of us could live up to God's standard of holiness. None of us can live up to God's standard of perfection. Because none of us could live up to God's holy standard, you see, you and I can be sure of our eternal inheritance because God paid the pledge. God not only pledged for his faithfulness, but he paid the price for our own disobedience. God in the person of Christ didn't just walk between the pieces of a dead animal. He literally allowed himself to be cut in two. You see, 2,000 years later, after Abraham, darkness would again shroud Calvary's hill. Jesus bore the curse. You see, Jesus bore the, the curse for us. You know, there, there on Calvary's hill in the person of Jesus, the Son bore the curse for our disobedience. He bore the, the, the curse for our disobedience, not because he was guilty of sin, but because he took the place of guilty sinners. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ fulfilled the pledge of God's covenant with Abraham so that we along 
might be declared righteous if we believe. Despite what the doctors say, I hold to the hope that God will heal me. But this isn't what I'm clinging to. My sure hope is in the objective historical reality of Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. Jesus walked between the pieces so that I wouldn't have to. Jesus walked through hell so that heaven would be open to me. I may not experience a full life on this side of eternity. I may miss out on many things, but I won't miss out on the one thing that matters. I'll have Christ in eternity, and that's all that matters. He'll more than make up for whatever I've lost out in this life. Don't miss out on the one thing that matters. Receive Christ for what he's done for you. Receive him. Receive Christ in in all that he's offering you, the empty tomb, the cross, the empty tomb. That's all that matters. Receive him, believe him, and ask him to change your heart's focus from a world that disappoints to a promise that never fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your sovereign grace. We thank you for calling us from counterfeit gods into a relationship with the only true God. In you and you alone lies our hope for resurrection. We thank you for this sure hope. We thank you for a sure hope that is secure in Christ and that there's nothing we can do to add to our salvation. Thank you for walking between the pieces, for making good on your pledge on Calvary's Hill. Grant us hearts to believe in this reality. Grant us hearts that live in this reality, that we may be called children of Abraham. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.